welcome back with book babes it's our third and final episode um this episode we're going to be talking about important quotes and themes in the book and we're going to help out our ap lit students with uh analysis and then we're also going to give our thoughts and ratings on the book so welcome back y'all so let's start with talking about the major themes in the book and the first one i want to bring up is identity um so one major quote that we found in the book it goes like this so You are burnt beyond recognition, he added, looking at his wife as one looks at a valuable piece of property which has suffered damage. So this quote was talking about, this was from Leonce and then commentary on what he was saying. This one I thought was really interesting because the you are burnt beyond recognition kind of shows that Leonce really only cares about Edna's outward appearance and how it reflects on him. And so that is something that kind of emphasizes like the importance of those social norms that we've been talking about throughout this whole podcast. Um, And he looks at his wife as one looks at a valuable piece of property, which has suffered damage that I remember reading that. And I was like, that really is intense because that points out just the whole idea of how women were seen as property and how they really just did not have the same rights and just how they were valued in society. I thought that was a really interesting way to put it was actually comparing them to. Yeah, for sure. Like I remember reading that and I was like, Oh great. At least she's a valuable piece of property. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Like (sighs) that, that was like really, that like hurt me to read. I was like, Oh, that ouch. (laughs) But the fact that he made her property in the first place is still bad, even if she's valuable. Yeah, but then they just admitted to, like, thinking of them as property. That's, I don't yeah. know, it rubbed me the wrong way. It was interesting that Leon saw not, like, he saw Edna not only as, like, a piece of property, but he also saw her as, like, an extension of him. Like, yeah. this is my, this is my little pet that I dress and wear. Oh, that's so creepy. <laughs> it's so like a a, so weird i know i saw he's so weird okay well let's go with another identity quote so um this quote that we picked out it goes but that night she was like the little tottering stumbling clutching child who of all of a sudden realizes its powers and walks for the first time alone Boldly and without overconfidence. And that's on page 81. And basically the the narrator of the story explains after her many, many tries of Edna trying to swim. um, Her basically trying to learn to swim, learning this skill as compared to that of like a new baby toddler trying to walk. Um, And that highlights the fact that Edna is not a static character. And that she is, in fact, beginning a whole new chapter of development in her life. Um, just as a child's learning to walk and introduces, you know, everything to the the child gets everything introduced to them in the world. Um, Edna does establish body, body autonomy and starts to realize that she can lead her own independent life. So um, I really do think that was a big, like, moment for her when she learned to swim and I remember in the book when she's out there kind of far and she just kind of looks back at everyone. And she's like, whoa, like I'm really doing this. And I think she kind of zoned out a little bit with 
you know, that thought that she actually kind of got far out there and like needed to like, okay, let's, it's time to come back now. But, and it was also interesting how that like section of the story really foreshadowed the end. Like I remember like when I started reading the book, I knew like the major and I knew the ending and I knew what was going to happen. And so when I read that, I like recognized, I was like, whoa, that's definitely foreshadowing. And it was crazy that in this part of the book, in chapter 10, they just see it as, like, that empowers Edna and something that inspires Edna to start um, being the master of her own destiny, when in the end, she succumbs to the very thing that inspired her in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of crazy. Very interesting. I like it, too. Like, I kind of, I personally, I have, like, a fear of water, and so... I don't know, just that, that part, like, in the beginning where, like, Bailey said, like, just the foreshadowing, like, she's learning to swim, and she kind of had that, you know, you know, everyone has a fear of anything when they, you know, they've never known how to do something before, and then, like, how her life just ends, she just basically drowns. Hold on, can we talk about how you're scared of water for a second? Is that... (laughs) I not don't know why I'm water. scared of, no, not drinking water, like <laughs> bodies of water. That's what I meant. I'm not scared of no, drinking water. I got water. you. Honestly, I could never swim out into the ocean like Edna did because like I would be scared of sharks. That would definitely scare me. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. I was like, uh-uh, girl. Like, I don't mind, like I've gone like surfing and stuff or like paddle boarding. That doesn't bother me at all. But without anything, like if you're just swimming out into the abyss like that. I kind of I can understand that your legs are just hanging yeah Yeah, relaxing like when you don't feel the ground anymore it's kind of nice and you're just floating (laughs) through the ocean it's you hear all the sounds from all the people on the shore and then you hear like yourself just the waves around you and it's very nice yeah when she was like describing that like experience it was it seemed really peaceful until she started to like panic a little bit but the first Mm -hmm. part like when she was swimming out there it just seemed really peaceful. I yeah, was like, that sounds nice. I'm sure that the sea in 18th century or like 19th century England looked a lot different than the sea looks like today because of pollution and whatnot. So, but I mean, yeah, it, I I understand. I have a fear of bodies of water too. <gasps> Not drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's dive into like another quote that I think really goes into identity which is from page uh 340 and it yep. goes today it is Arabun. tomorrow it will be someone else it makes no difference to me it doesn't matter about leon's Pontiere, but raul and Entien. and i can't i think this like really goes towards her realization of her future actions and how it's gonna affect her children and, like, even if she doesn't have, like, that much connection with them anymore, like, she doesn't want to be too, too much. She still feels bad for them because she would sacrifice her life. And she knows the social norms of, like, how that's going to affect their lives as they're growing up. Yeah, and this one was interesting to me because it shows, like, it, again, just highlights that relationship she has with her children. Like, of course, she is going to feel sorry for them for losing their mother because she has a heart and obviously like anyone would feel bad for the children in that situation. But she doesn't really like 
care. Like, she doesn't have any maternal attachment to them, which is, I just no, thought was interesting. My first instinct, if I was a mother, that's, my children would be the whole reason I wouldn't take my life. I feel exactly. like Exactly. Me too. They would be my, like, very I'm well on for y'all. So, yeah, definitely, I agree with you, Bailey. When I read that, I was like, sheesh, we just don't care about these little kitties, do we? <laughs> I'm like, if you have to realize Edna continued living, I had to realize this myself because I also felt bad for the kids. But if Edna continued living, then the kids would have to face the same social scrutiny that Edna would have to face. Like, you know, the kids would grow up with the with the mom who was radical and led an independent lifestyle and had sex with everybody. Like that would be a really bad a really bad way to grow up. So I feel like dared her kids. In knowing that, like, then they would only hear the fable of their mom instead of, like, the reality. So That's, that's actually I- a really interesting point. I hadn't thought of that, like, how it might affect her kids and their social standing, I guess. I know. That's and interesting. And that, that just goes back to everything that I'm just so frustrated about. Like, I just want to, like, grab everyone in this books, like, grab everyone by the shoulders and just shake them and be like, stop. YOLO like you only yeah live just one. wake up like, it's chill fine. out it's okay like yeah because in like the southern culture nobody showed remorse like if a person in your family disgraced your family then you're going to be made fun of for it for the rest of your life and it does not matter how old you are so um it would have really like her kids would have suffered yeah. for- okay so she's a little selfless I would say not as selfish as I thought she was being Um, yeah yeah I think that's interesting though like the identity that uh was given to her by her husband and then kind of the one that she made herself I think that's a very interesting contrast with you know I'm an independent woman I can paint when I want I can kiss who I want type of thing and then Mr. Pontillier is like, you're a broken couch. Like, (laughs) that's not nice. Well, I have a quote about the theme of marriage. Um, So there's a quote on page 166 that said, the little glimpse of domestic harmony which had been offered to her gave her no regret, no longing, and it was not a condition of life which fitted her. And she could see it she could see in it, but an appalling and hopeless Inui. Which basically means that Edna had been visiting the Radtignolis, or like Adele and her husband. And we've reviewed Adele before. She's the epitome of Southern Belle who like pays attention to her husband. And she's a domestic being. And she devotes all time to it or to her family. But Edna, like, to it's a complete foil to Edna and Leonce's marriage. And to Edna, the, t- the, di- the typical domestic lifestyle, no appeal whatsoever. She actually found herself depressed after finishing dinner with them because of how bland their life is. Um, and as revealed by the narrator of the novel, Edna will find no satisfaction in her marriage to Leon. feel like Robert's her needs um and like i said last episode um she will soon realize that this it's not in fact the partner the issue with her trying to find, um and that stands 
way of her satisfaction, it's the social norms of that time. Does that For sure. I think that's a really good um, way to look at it. Just like a really good point of view um, of everything. And I mean, I honestly can't blame her for feeling the way she felt about I feel like there, I feel like she had a little bit of envy for Adele, but also a little bit of like, no, I don't want to be like you whatsoever. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I, I think she wished she sides. wanted to be like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it was a little bit of like, so I want to be you, but I don't want to be you. I wish I could be you. I think it was like, I wish I could be, I wish I could fit. Yeah. In real. Yeah. And I wish I could be happy doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, be happy with I think secretly she wants to uphold the the social norms of the time she just can't because it's not who she is yeah I feel like she was such a supportive friend I liked her she yeah. was nice and we'll continue this topic right after this quick commercial break is your husband a little behind on the times is he having trouble realizing that women are human beings with their own ideas and opinions does he not know that women are fully capable of doing everything a man can do and more while bleeding then send him down to ruth bader ginsburg's rehab center for the small brained if you call within the next 10 minutes we can also include a free tolerance class for the man with the microaggressions With our program, we guarantee big brain energy within 30 days or less. So come on down to RBG's Rehab Center for the Small Brained and help your husband be less of a dingbat. Bailey's Bodacious Bomb. Bonds are almost always long gone. Rich, chocolatey round shells. Creamy inside, shaped like bells. Delicious treat. They taste so sweet. Come on down to Bailey's and get some to eat. At Bailey's Bodacious Bonbons, we have over 50 million flavors of bonbons. That includes buttercream, nougat, chocolate, vanilla, fruit, and so much more. Bailey's Bodacious Bonbons are almost always long gone. Rich, chocolatey round shells, creamy inside, shaped like bells. Delicious treat, they taste so sweet. Come on down to Bailey's and get some to eat. Now I think it's time for a commercial break. Okay, so um, I think another major theme would be isolation, and we can go ahead and jump into that. Um, I have a quote here. It's on page uh, 282 uh, in chapter 32, and it goes, all along the journey homeward, their presence lingered with her like the memory of a delicious song, but by the time she had regained the city, the song no longer echoed in her soul. She was again alone, and this is about... Uh, Edna returning back to New Orleans after visiting her children in Iberville. I think we talked about that uh, in the first episode. And she realized that she's unable to maintain a connection with them. And I know we've dived into that a lot, but I think that that really um, jumps into that isolation theme. Um, Even though she and her sons had a wonderful time together. I mean, she felt sad about leaving, of course. But the union of mother and child is, it was not... It was fleeting. The narrator tells us that the memory of her being a mother fades more and more as Iberville does. And by the time she makes it home, she's all but forgotten her, you know, motherly duties. And I'll, I'll say that I thought the same. Like, 
I cannot tell you how many times I just like blinked and I was like, wait a minute, this this girl has kids. Like she <laughs> is a whole mom. Like and she just like I just completely forgot. I mean, I would forget if I were her, honestly. Like yeah, it's, yeah. that's how I felt about that. It's interesting is it's her kid and then like she flips a switch and she's like, Oh my god, I love you guys, you're so great. And then like as soon as she leaves, she's like, I have kids question mark she's like yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny like, how, like um normally when someone has kids it sort of like takes over your entire life and that oh, becomes just like your main your main thing I guess is like you have to take care of your kids and you're always doing stuff for your kids it just like takes up so much of your time and it's funny how in the book like if you think about how infrequently her kids are brought up it's just funny like that you just never hear about her kids because that's completely not an important part of her life to her. I mean, obviously it's an important part, but she doesn't find that much meaning in it, which is interesting. She obviously felt indifferent about being a mom. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wouldn't say she was a bad mom. I really, I never saw her being a bad mom. Like, like you said, <laughs> Bailey, like when she was with them, when she was being a mom, like, the very little in the book that we see of that, like, she was a good mom. She was, you know, her kids loved her and she loved her kids. And, you know, Listen. she did what she had to do in their presence. But, you know, I just yeah. feel like, you know, my mom, when I'm away from her for like two days, she's like, oh, my God, I miss you so much. I couldn't stop thinking about you. Like, I had all this stuff I need to tell you, like, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's yeah. definitely not the case for her. So she's definitely not a bad mom. It's just, you know she can completely let it go over her head when she's all up <laughs> over a Robin. So. Ooh. All right. We have, do we want to touch on any more isolation or do we just want to move on to depression? I've got one more isolation quote. I think we can, we can touch on. So this one is from page 342 and it says she felt like some newborn creature opening its eyes in a familiar world that it had never known. And this one, we, I can't remember, we talked about the ending last episode. I don't know if we talked about this particular quote, but um, again, it just goes back to like that image of her standing naked on the shore of the sea and like finding this new perspective on life. And so while like the world around her was stagnant and staying in those times and holding up those social norms, she sort of dramatically was changed by her awakening and she felt that she was reborn into this new perspective and new life um so yeah she realized that she like can't live without her independence um and she then obviously swims out into the sea but i just thought this was like an interesting quote that kind of showed this new perspective like and compared her to a newborn creature to kind of show the rebirth from her awakening. So another theme that can be pulled from this novel is depression, obviously. Because Edna, after she has a book, she starts, and starts getting really depressed about it. So there's this um, quote from page 173, and it goes like this. It says, there were days when she was unhappy, and she did not know why. When it did not seem worthwhile to be sad or glad or sorry or to be alive or dead. 
I kind of butchered that, but you get what it's trying to say. Um, so as Edna begins to neglect her responsibilities of being lady of the house and begins to focus more on her journey of self-realization and self-realization, um, she fluctuated from an elated sense of optimism to a sense of total despair. Like it went from zero to a hundred real quick. Um, her mood swings reflect that of a person who is like undeniably depressed, but is still willing to struggle into a better place. Like still has hope for her future and wants to like actually speak into existence, having an independent life. Um, and we see this most when visits Mademoiselle Louise's house to express her dark moods. Like, you know, her uh, Mademoiselle is her and she like all, all of her deep personal feelings. Um, and she continues throughout the book to try and find a way to live, only to find that New Orleans offers her no place in the community as point to the theme of isolation. Because in this moment, she realized that nobody else, even, even, right, or yeah, Mademoiselle Rees, um, would not share this journey with her. So as Edna begins to neglect her responsibilities of being lady of the house and begins to focus more on her journey of self-actualization, self-realization, um, she fluctuates from sense of optimism to a sense of total um her mood swings reflect that of a person who is undeniably depressed but is still willing to struggle into a better place like she hopes that she can actually lead the life that she wants to lead even though she's really sad that nobody else wants to do it with her um and we see this most when edna visits mademoiselle louise's house to express her dark moods because we have you know mademoiselle louise's confidant and like her best friend um, and she continues throughout the book to try and find a way to live, um, only to find that New Orleans has offered, like, offers her no place in the community as an independent woman. Did that cut out for y'all? No. Not as bad. Okay, good. Okay, so, okay, let's just jump back into, like, little banter. Okay, just making sure that worked for everyone. Okay. Yep. Um, what's some banter we can say about this? I'm so sorry, y'all. I'm so dead. <laughs> Do you want to just jump into the last quote? Okay. Yeah, let's just... Um, I think another like part that we could put for depression would be this quote from page 340, where it's all about despondency had come upon her there in the water the wakeful night and had never lifted there was no one thing in the world that she desired this quote really is like from the final chapter and it's really finally showing how Edna was giving up and trying to live as that independent woman that we heard about from Lily and how she wanted to just be apart from her old life and that over the book she's realizing that her true self and the labels of society that she put on her weren't really her and she knew that she was still unsure, I guess. Once she realizes that, that Robert and everybody in who like she ever really knew wouldn't accept this new her, she's she thought, hey, what was the point of living? And end up and ended up ending her life in an act of possession of her own body and soul, just to be like apart from everything and everyone that she ever knew. 
I couldn't even imagine, like, first of all, living like she lived and just being happy. So I definitely think that that quote really fits into the depression theme. Um, It's just very sad. And I definitely just, I couldn't even imagine, like, she was strong anyways. And I just, I hate that for her. But again, the awakening, I kind of. It's a little empowering. I can kind of see both sides of that. So, Well, what are our final thoughts on this book? I will say I really enjoyed this book. And I don't say that much about books. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it too. I have to agree. And I usually, I mean, I can't really say anything because I usually enjoy reading this type of book. But... It was nice because I'd been wanting to read this book for a long time. And so this kind of gave us an opportunity to really dive into it in a yeah. really in-depth way. I mean, me- like, even that, um, this is a really valuable piece of information of first wave feminism. And it, I think it actually, like, pioneered, like, along with Virginia Woolf and every other and Jane Austen and all the other feminist writers of the time I think you know what's what's interesting so (laughs) last year when we did our at black paper that was like the 10 page research paper I did mine on first wave feminism and it's funny because now like I learned a lot from that about the movement and different perspectives of that time and so now it's interesting reading this and being able to fit this new information into my like general knowledge of feminism so I just I I really liked reading this book yeah 10 out of 10 would recommend would read again I would say I also felt really accomplished with like being able to understand like the type of words and like dialect that they had like I don't know I just felt like ooh, I have like a strong brain I was able to get through this really well I was kind of worried about it being a little too much to digest you know yeah sometimes sometimes books of this density can be like the language can be really hard to understand and process and kind of like make sure you're getting all of the important information and like really just seeing everything that the author meant for us to see but I actually like and so going into this book I was worried that like I would have a hard time understanding everything or we would need to clear a lot of things up but I actually was happily surprised that I really understood everything that was happening as I was reading it and that doesn't happen that often so I like that yay yay all the list there are um (laughs) it's really a classic because as you read the classics uh expanded then your literary knowledge gets expanded then your intelligence gets expanded it's really worth it if you're afraid to pick up book research and dive into classics because they're a lot more fun than they are intimidating that's true and speaking of classics should we segue into some help for our poor ap lit students who need some assistance for the exam daily enlighten us Yes. Okay. So this book is one that we talked about a lot of themes today and a lot of quotes that kind of outline these themes. Um, and we've t- been talking about major themes for all three of our episodes so far. Um, 
so in the AP Lit exam, this information could be really be useful in question three in the, um, isn't that the literary argumentation question? No. I believe so. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Um, so in that question, that's the one where you can kind of pull from any knowledge of any books that you've read, any of the classics that you've read. And so with any of these themes that we've talked about today, um, th that question will kind of give you some sort of theme and you have to connect a book that you've read to that theme or some sort of character development or something like that, some literary piece that you can pull from classics that you know and apply mm -hmm. them. So using these themes that we've talked about today, apply those to the question three prompt in the exam and you should be good to go. We've talked about a lot of these themes. Um, so if you just really explain how these like different topics throughout the book and the characters that we've talked about and apply them to the prompt, you should have no problem getting that, getting a good score on this, at least that question. So anyone well, else have anything to add to that? I think that's great, Bailey. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Well, thank you for joining us for the final episode of Book Babes. Um, thank you for going on this journey with us through the awakening. And time if we have to analyze a book here, if we have to. <laughs>